Great. Thanks, everyone, uh, for joining us today. Uh, hopefully, you had a chance to uh, watch our Analyst and Investor Day videos that we posted last night. Um, we're going to spend the next... We're going to spend uh, a little bit of time now taking questions from uh, some of our analysts on the Zoom. We also got some questions submitted to us over email, uh, which we'll also work in uh, during this time. Um, I've got here with me Avishai, Nir, and Lior. And um, I think we're ready to get started, right, guys? Yes, we are. All right. Yep. So uh, first, we'll go to Brad at RBC. Brad, you... Uh, Want to go ahead and ask your question? Yeah, thanks, guys. Morning or afternoon for you, I suppose. Um, I guess, yeah, just first, I had one and then a follow-up. You talk about achieving the, the free cash flow targets under the current growth rates. Um, I guess current growth rates, there's, there's a lot of noise kind of going on. There's improving FX. You've got some pricing in there. Maybe just help us unpack that that statement between sub-growth versus price mix. If you could, let's just start there. Sure. So I, I will try to uh, relate to that, and, and hopefully it will be clear. I think that first of all, uh, it's important to understand the uh, methodology or the model, and I think that this is also back to the uh, you know to the previous analyst day, where we say that we are committed to the profitability targets, no matter what is the growth, meaning that we will align cost based on the growth. Um, so to answer your question, uh, you know, in simple words. We are just looking at the KPIs as it is today in terms of conversion, in terms of pricing, in terms of FX, uh, but also in terms of the growth of our business, both for self-creators and partners. If we just continue that without any changes, without any recovery of the economy, without any increase in conversion as a result of AI, without any positive impact which we assume that we will have uh, you know, for the studio, uh, uh, product, meaning uh, for partners, uh, just continue the way we see the KPIs, the fundamentals of our business today, um, and this is exactly what it takes us in order to get to the uh, 25%. Um, you know, that said, you know, obviously it can, the growth can be uh, uh, higher, can be better, and, and certainly, uh, you know, internally this is what we expect, but in case it is lower, again, we will align our cost in order to make sure that we will meet the, profit, the profitability target as we did in the last couple of years. Got it. And then just a quick follow-up. On the subscriber growth, just when we think about that piece of it going forward, how much of that is coming from market share gains versus just kind of new domains, new business formation? And on the market share gain side, where, where should we think about that coming from? Thanks. I think that... This, this question goes to a few things, right? What we can always see is that, uh, and we've seen even more of that last year, that the SaaS CMS market as a whole is taking a bigger portion of the website uh, total markets, and we've seen it on the obviously on the new website where it's substantially bigger, but also on a website that have been renewed, and uh, meaning that they are uh, it was all implementation mostly build some homegrown CMS or website ma uh, management tool in some hosting company, and then it migrates to a more than SaaS uh, offering. And it depends on each year, right? Last year we've seen actually a decrease in the total amount of website on the, on the world, so obviously that was even more in terms of uh, uh, the SaaS CMS 
products taking a bigger portion of the market. So it fluctuates, but I would assume that uh, going forward, we're going to see that uh, in the next couple of years, SACMS uh, will take the majority of new websites on the planet by a big uh, margin. And I, and I think this is a lot reflected in our just partners business, gaining market share mm -hmm. as yeah. that as the SaaS CMS takes over much more. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that you can see again that uh, uh, partners are utilize modern tools actually getting faster uh, and uh, market share, more customers, and of course, uh, that actually pushes other partners to move, other agencies to move to such tools. Yeah. It's very hard to compete when you build something from scratch or an old technology with an agency that does it with modern tools. It's hard to compete on uh, how good it looks and how to compete and how good it works, how to compete in functionality you have there, and then uh, the combination of all of that is the efficiency in which you build it, which of course is how profitable you're going to be. Yeah. Got it. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> Great. Thanks, Brad. Um, next, we'll go to Egal at City. Hey guys, uh, good afternoon. Um, I tried to match your, your black t-shirt dress code today. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I want to try, try the growth question um, again, maybe in a little bit of a different way uh, first. So, I mean, so you're, you talk about in, in the presentation how you can see um, the sub-creators accelerate again, and you kind of showed how, how that progression would work based on the, the data you have. That was really helpful. Talking about partners potentially being even bigger than sub creators over time. Um, so, you know, it, it feels like based on some of these growth drivers, I, I, again, with the macro, it's a little bit harder to put numbers on, on the growth, but it feels like there's, there's a path to get back to 20% plus, which is, I feel like investors have had a hard time kind of um, envisioning, but it feels like we're, we're seeing some of those things. So, you, you know, not to put a target on it, but um, you know, can you bridge us there? Do you think that, that that's that's an opportunity in, in the coming years, if, even if the macros, let's just call it neutral? And then um, on, on the product side, uh, lots of great information. A lot of it is, is pretty technical. So can you just help us understand, maybe both on, on the studio side and on the AI side, what what's different about studio and, and your and the AI stuff that you guys are doing, right? Like chat GPT integration and creating content is, uh, you know, kind of everyone's got that now. So, what, what's different about what you guys are offering here um, that the rest of the market might not have? Thanks. Hey, Gal. So, I, I think I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, try and answer your first uh, question around growth, and and Avishai will uh, will continue with the product side. Uh, I think you know our goal here in in the three-year plan has always been to explain our method methodology and how we think about how we should run the company, how uh, we're driving the things that we control uh, um, to get to the results that that we want to commit to to ourselves and and and, and to the street. And can we achieve further growth even without the macro economy on, on improved conversion through the AI and that Avishai products that Avishai discussed on, on the video? Uh, can we uh, approve, uh, achieve further growth uh, or accelerated growth through uh, the, the adoption of studio and the compounding growth that we are seeing in the partners' cohorts? 
yes, absolutely we can. Uh, but the goal now is not to give projections. We want to give you know guidance only based on the things we know at the time that we know them and we give the guidance. We definitely believe that we have the right levers to get back to higher growth, you know, as you said, even at the, at the 20 percent plus. Um, but uh, but we'll, we'll definitely continue to innovate uh, uh, towards that end, and these are also things that we control, and like everyone else, hope that there's some recovery in the market at some point. In regards to you know, in regards to the question that you ask about the difference between studio and AI, you ask are you asking also about what is studio is different, or just yeah, different different than, than what else is on the market? Because uh, just because some some of it is, is a little technical in the way you guys presented it. So you know what are you what is what, how are you approaching AI? Um, you know you kind of highlighted how you've got a lot, a lot of internal research and things like that. Like how, how are you approaching AI? What's what do you have that's different that others might not have? And then and maybe I think it's worth answering the same question for, for Studio. What, what, what's different in Studio that uh, you know isn't on the market that's like unique to Wix? Of course. So maybe I'll start with, uh, I think, what is the easier one, which is a, a Studio. I think that uh, the, the concept behind Studio is that as a designer, you're used to working with tools like Photoshop and Figma, right? And, and those two... Uh, you work on a, what is called a pixel base, so you can actually position something perfectly and, and draw and move it, and they are very powerful tool in how you scale things, how you combine things. And, and most agencies right, will have people that are very used to that kind of an interface. However, that doesn't translate to web design where things are very fluid, content is fluid, screen sizes are different, font looks differently on different screens. So. What we try to do in Studio is to bring the same kind of experience where you would have in Photoshop or in Figma and make it available to everybody that you want to be a designer on the web, right? So you can learn how to, if you know all those tools, if you know those kind of tools, then a, a Studio will feel very natural for you. And we take care of all the complexity in the background of how to make it fit into a... a modern web environment. The, by the way, this is as opposed to uh, Wix, which is taking the experience that you would normally find in something like slides or PowerPoint and making it feel very natural for you. So it's a very different UI, then also very different capability in terms of how deep you can do things and how much complexity you have in the thing you can actually create, which is why we think that Studio is a great tool for agencies and partners. As for the AI, well, we do a lot of different things in AI. So I'm going to try and limit my answer for just a few of those. So the first one is things like the responsive AI or the layout creation. Right? And the, the, the thing to understand is that LLM, which is what we are seeing today, large language models, are working on what we call a one-dimensional prediction. Okay? So essentially, if you think about text, text always goes like that. Right? Well, in some languages it goes like that, but again, or in like this, but it's still one dimension. So the way the LLM works is that they always predict the next word and take that, but you know the next word, they'll predict the next word after that. So this is the concept behind it. When it comes to do visual things, right, visual designs, you need to take into account three dimensions or four dimensions. Because first of all, you have this dimension, and then you have this one, right? You position things, 
Then you have to make sure how big they are. Then you have to look at how the color scheme and the fonts are combined with everything else on the same page. So and you have to develop a multidimensional AI to predict what is the next thing to do. Right? So it requires different kind of algorithms. And it requires a very different data set to train on. And it requires very different thing in, in because you cannot predict the next word. You have to predict the layout and then fill it with details. So it's working differently. And that difference is why uh, uh, this kind of AI is different. Another example is how do you take a page and make it into a responsive page. Why is that important? Because as a designer, you used to working with Photoshop, you build something, you build a design, take that design, and but this design does not say how buttons should behave when they're on a mobile phone, for example, on a tablet, right? So what we have to do is we have to say, well, this is the image of what you built, right? How we envision that to behave on a tablet or on a mobile phone or on a huge screen, right? And that is, again, you have to use AI to be able to say that because different elements or different texts will actually create a very different effect. For you, as a, for all of us as humans, it's very natural. But to make that into a computer algorithm, it's essentially almost the same as image recognition. So we kind of have to look at that and say, well, this is the design that you built for desktop, how we envision that to work well on something else. Now, in most of the time you use some kind of approximations and then you get something that looks very plastic and you immediately can see that it's not natural. So while with AI, we can actually make it feel very natural and look really well while trying to capture, in most cases, the design intent behind it. So those are just two examples, but there are plenty of those. Okay, and some of that AI is internally developed proprietary. All, all of those are internally developed with Wix. None of them exist outside of Wix. Uh, well, I'm sure some other people develop other models for that, but our models were developed internally here and they are kept here. Thanks, Yigal. Uh, next, we'll go to Mark Mahaney at Evercore. Okay, thanks. Uh, two questions, please. One, did you talk about pricing for Wix Studio? Um, and then just in terms of the long-term uh, uh, margin forecast, so getting to the 35% plus free cash flow margin, I think at the last investor day, that was uh, the goal was 30%. So just talk about the biggest differences between then and now that give you the, uh, the confidence to take that long-term free cash flow margin higher. Thank you. Uh, hey, Mark. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, kick it off with the pricing and then hand it over to Lior for the long term. Uh, so in terms of um, the, the pricing for, uh, for Studio, uh, for the time being, it, would, it will be uh, very similar to the pricing of Editor X. Um, whereas uh, the way we think about the monetization of studio is around uh, um, uh, basically um, enhancing all of those KPIs that I mentioned, uh, I mentioned in my presentation. So by helping our existing partners uh, uh, move over to studio, adopt uh, a studio, and by means of all of the additional functionality and capabilities that we've added to uh, studio, um, to, uh, to allow them to be in a position where they are more successful, they are building uh, more, uh, taking on more projects, building more websites, uh, uh, moving uh, and adding more uh, business applications, and therefore having a higher ARPS per website, 
And obviously, uh, once we open the studio for uh, for the general public to just get more partners uh, joining us because we have such a good solu great solution, uh, those all are going to uh, contribute to an even further acceleration into the growth of the of the of the partner cohorts. Um, that's basically how we think about the monetization side of it. Leo, you want to talk uh, towards the long term? Yeah, sure. Uh, so first of all, Mark, I will start with the uh, you know the first part of the question. Um, because you're right, um, last time it was about 30%, and right now it's 30, 75% plus. The difference mostly coming from the fact that now we understand that we can get to the docket with lower operating expenses. I think that one of the, uh, you know, of the examples of you know, the last couple of years, uh, we understand how we can be more efficient. Um, and also, obviously, about the uh, change strategy about the marketing, uh, you know, being more specific about the self-creators. Um, so I believe that we will get to the 35% of free cash flow not before of 2028, might be sooner, might be a bit later, uh, but I believe that this is uh, where we believe that we can get there. This, thanks, Mark. Um, I think this is actually a good time to jump in with a question that we got from uh, uh, from one of our investors emailing in. Just when you talk about the differences between the model that we presented a year ago and today, Lior, what, what is the change in methodology or differences between how we put together the model last May and how we put together the model this year? Yeah. Well, I believe that... <laughs> Actually, when you think about it, there is no change. I think that, you know, last time when we were talking about it, we said that uh, we are committed to the margins and we will control whatever we can control, which is obviously the cost. I think that, you know, what's happened in the last year is a just testament to the fact that we were able to align the cost to the current growth rate. And I believe that this is something that we will continue to do. And again, I want to emphasize that. We are committed to the 25% of free cash flow uh, we are committed to the $500 million free cash flow by 2025, and we will adjust the cost accordingly. And again, so there is no change except of the fact that, you know, the growth was not as we expected, obviously, because of the, ma the macro and the environment, but we managed to prove that we can control what is under our control, which is the cost. Great. Um so next question, we'll go to Ken at Oppenheimer. <coughs> Great. Uh, thank you for all the details. Um, I wanted to dive into that, that last point in terms of controlling what you can control. And I, I think we understand that 2025, that, that's a floor. You know, if growth does rebound, should we think of you guys blowing that upside through to the bottom line, or do you recalibrate the spend to, to recapture that spend? Uh, that, that, that no, absolutely. The first thing, I mean, we will obviously some of the increase uh, will will definitely has a positive impact, meaning that it's a floor, and and if growth is going to be better, so you should expect to be at higher than 25%. Got it. Okay, perfect. And then the second one, just on, on M&A, I noticed that's the number two uh, priority in terms of use of cash. Just wondering if there's you know, anything that you guys have in mind. Obviously, you have a competitor that just bought a domain business. We'd just love to get a sense for what you guys might be thinking on, on acquisitions. 
We so are always looking at different uh, opportunities. And there's nothing concrete. I can say that we will not buy a domain business. That's for sure. I don't think that that has any margin that are relevant for what we do. But, but generally, near that, I mean, we, we haven't changed our strategy on M&A. No. I think, as Avish has said, they, they we're always looking around. We have done some smaller acquisitions in the past. We may do so in the future. And I think, you know, it's, a, it's clearly something that that is an opportunity that may come up. But this, you know, what we posted doesn't mean that we are uh, aiming to make any significant change yeah. uh, from our current methodology. Thank you very much. Um, next question, we'll go to Andrew Boone at JMP. Good morning, guys, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, I wanted to better understand the five-point change in terms of OPEX for long-term targets. Can you guys double-click on that in terms of helping us understand whether that's that's marketing? And if it is marketing, where are you guys getting the efficiencies in terms of the change? Yeah. Well, it's not just marketing. I mean, think about it this way, and this is why, you know, I, I try to illustrate. The growth in OPEX is going to be only a direct result of the increase in revenue. We have no intention to increase headcount. So whenever revenue is increasing, um, so, you know, most of it go to the bottom line. It means that as a percentage of revenue, operating expenses um, will be uh, by far less than what it used to be, you know, like the previous year. It doesn't mean, by the way, that in dollar it's not going to increase. It will increase. But as a percentage of revenue, it will go down because when your revenue go up, let's say, by 13% and your OPEX only by 5%, so it means that you're getting leverage immediately as a percentage of revenue. You know, this is exactly the drill, this is exactly the model, meaning that we don't have any intention to increase OPEX beyond the variable costs that are related directly to the increase of revenue. For example, billing expenses is just an, an example to that. And then as we think about the partner opportunity, as that's our greater growth driver for Wix overall, can you guys just speak to the size of the opportunity? Right? You guys have a significant pattern on the e-commerce side. How do you think about the Wix opportunity within partners in terms of kind of the TAM? Thank you so much. Yeah, I think, I mean, Avishai, you and your presentation shared a lot about you know, the, the size of growth that SaaS CMS is taking of CMS, and CMS is largely a professional type platform, right? The mm -hmm. partners, right. I think that partners, if you yeah. look at agencies, most of the time, the people that will come to an agency are people that are willing to pay for somebody to do their business better. You know, essentially, most of the time, those will be bigger businesses. As we see that, uh, uh, as we've seen, by enabling two things, right? One is to have better tools for partners. We actually increase some available time. But not just an available time, it's an available time into the bigger kind of websites. And if you look at companies today that are mostly uh, saying to agencies, you can see that most of their business will be for larger customers than the average one we have in Wix. As a result from that, we can already see that retention and, uh, and, and uh, e-commerce revenues are, of course, higher on those websites. So we can already, and I think we demonstrated that mm -hmm. in a deck, uh, when we show that uh, that partners' uh, websites tend to be uh, to sell more or have more activity than regular uh, Wix uh, websites. 
it's kind of uh, it's the natural thing to, to, to assume and to see. So I think that overall, uh, partner sites have a higher value and will continue to be more uh, uh, more with higher value and, and, and a better retention. And but, but for us, the more exciting thing is not just a specific site, is that our addressable, uh, available market where we can actually bring Wix uh, to customers is growing with it because when we allow more partners to use more Wix, uh, to use Wix into more projects, we are also making the fact that you can use uh, our available addressable time is is way bigger. And and I think there is a, a slide on that on the Wednesday presentation. Okay, we'll uh, go to the next question from Clark Jeffries at Piper. Uh, thank you for taking the question. Um, you know, one thing that stood out to me was the sort of slope of bookings by cohort, and, and especially the difference between Parker's business and the self-creators business. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've been looking at this before on the aggregate basis that you give in, in terms of cohort booking, but I, I wanted to ask, what growth rate you're seeing in the oldest cohorts between the partners and the self-creator business. Uh, it, it seems like the partner's business would be at a higher rate, but uh, curious to you like what, what the, the growth differential is on, on the oldest cohort. Hey, hey, Clark. So, without going, you know, I think we we supplied quite a lot of detail there. So, I'm not going to break it apart further than what we've already uh, showed in the presentation. But I would say that that uh, the generalization that that you observed is absolutely that there's a much we're seeing a, a much higher growth in the in the partners business, and it, it makes sense because uh, when, when you think about kind of the the underlying behavior. On, on, on a self-creator, essentially, uh, uh, in a cohort, uh, a, 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 a small business or a person that is represented in that cohort will build one website over their lifetime, maybe two, or you know, maybe they'll have more than one active at the same time, uh, and and that's that's kind of averaging it at, at a much, uh, obviously, at a lower at a low number. Whereas in partners, uh, over time, we'll see the designers, the agencies adopting more and more capabilities and then bringing in more projects. Even if for some reason a project you know, went away because, because the client left them, at the end of the day, if they're successful and they're building a business, then that expands. And that expansion over time is what is driving basically the, that, that growth of the core. Um, um, now, naturally, uh, still the bigger piece of our business is the self-creators business. So when you aggregate them, it looks much more like a self-creator uh, uh, cohort than the partner cohort. But our belief is that with these new introductions, with the investments we've done that are already paying off uh, over the last few years and the additional uh, uh, introduction of studio, our ability to grow the, the partners courts and accelerate them is going to be much, much further. And when that happens, it becomes a bigger and bigger part of our business, then obviously that's going to be a key contributor of the overall growth. And, and already today, you see that you know, partners are growing at 30, 36% year over year. It's, it's a very significant growth. Again, based on everything I've showed, the, the higher GPV, the higher ARPS, the, higher, the, the, the multiple sites per, per partner, and the general adoption of the platform, 
we believe that this growth can not only uh, uh, be uh, uh, continue, but actually accelerate. Perfect. And I, I just wanted to uh, sort of follow up with saying, you know, Lior, you know, the, the, the free cash flow margin for partners in 25 is, you know, significantly in a, you know, inflection from the prior year. I wanted to ask, was that always anticipated off of that update that you gave where partners' business is going to reach positive by mid-2024, or is that a change? And then longer term, I mean, based off of these bookings comments, based off of the, the improvement in free cash flow margin, could partners be the higher terminal margin free cash flow, uh, free cash flow margin business at the upper rate? So yes, for both questions. Um, yes, uh, we, uh, in a way, expedited the path to profitability for partners. It used to be uh, 2025, now it's at least a year before. I think that this is uh, as a result of all the efficiencies, uh, but also from the current growth that we see within partners. Um, so definitely next year partners will start to be a, a, a free cash flow uh, positive, um, you know, uh, sooner rather than later. Um, and on the other question, so the answer is yes. I think that, you know, Neil talked about um, the compounding effect of partners. Well, the compounding effect is has a direct contribution to the profitability because when you get one agency, it keeps on building more and more and more websites. Um, you know, the output is different, uh, obviously, but also the mix of the partners or mix of the, of the uh, business is different. We see the adoption of more business solution, so the output is much better. Um, I believe that the profitability of partners will be higher than self-creators. Um, and again, I think that once we get, uh, you know, kind of the 50-50 between partners and self-creators is going to be seen quite easily. Okay. Uh, next question will go to Fiona Hines at Morgan Stanley. Hi, good morning, everybody. This is Fiona on for Elizabeth Porter. Thank you for taking the question. I wanted to ask on AI and the ability to improve conversion. Thinking back to when you launched API, what did you see in terms of customers completing websites and improving conversion from registered users to paying subscribers? And how should we think about similarities or differences with the launch of the latest Gen AI products? Thank you. Well, I think you're touching the core of the issue, right? I think that historically, what we did at Wix is always reduce the friction when somebody tries to build a website. That was where we started, right? We said, well, now everybody can. And then we did something very basic, but slowly we continue to expand the offerings to make it that we can reduce the friction for more and more people. And the friction could be, you know, not having e-commerce and, and then making it easy to build an e-commerce site. But another side of it, of course, is to design the website and to write the content, to have the right images, and to know what kind of website you need to build. With ADI, I think we demonstrated a massive improvement in terms of conversion. And, uh, and by the way, it took us time to optimize it. It's not like in the first day we've seen a massive, right? It took us a year and something in order to always get upward. But we had a place where we could actually leverage the algorithms and, and make things better in a massive way that we couldn't without it. So I would say it was very substantial. I do believe that the current technology enables us to do way more than we did before. Uh, so a few examples would be, of course, making a much more pretty and effective websites. So those are very important things. And, and, and that 
always translate to conversion in Wix. Then, understanding your business in a way that we couldn't. In ADI, in ADI uh, the way we generated uh, text and content for your website was very naive. Right? In fact, the algorithm that is behind the transformer and uh, embedding algorithm behind uh, uh, ChatGPT was invented in 2017, right? A year after we released ADI, so obviously it was much more naive. And, but if we can capture the content that you want to have on your website in a much more detailed way and, and, and make sure that it's very easy for you to modify the way we, the website talk and, and, and the language and, and the narrative, then I believe that that will be another massive uh, leap upward in, in conversion and satisfaction from customers. So I'd say that this gives us a lot of opportunities. The other side is, is how we manage the success of your business. So currently, right, we kind of like have to wait for you to say, well, you know what, I want to optimize my SEO, right? I want to do a campaign on Google. I want to be able to add few pages in because I see that users are looking. So we go to the customer and we wait for the customer. We present the option, but the customer has to be engaging in order to do that, have to initiate it, and then we try to help the customer do that. With AI, we can actually have AI approach you and say, hey, Analyze your business. Do you know that you really need to do that? Or that would be a great idea for your business? Okay. And, and by doing that, we can actually make a customer website more successful. And of course, increase this business success. But also allow them to use more of the Wix platform. So in many ways, also increase our average revenue per subscriber. So I think it, it's really uh, going to be a win-win situation. I think in the next couple of uh, years, when we leverage more of those technologies and, uh, and utilize and, and allow our customers and ourselves, because of that, to capture more benefits. I just want to add the word of caution. A lot of those things are new and exactly like what had happened with ADI, which we really still, you know, been optimizing for many years later and that created a lot of the benefits. It's going to be the same here. It's going to take time to find the best way to use such technologies. Very helpful. One more, if I could. Um, so, in the presentation, you noted an opportunity for some creators to return to double-digit growth. Have you balanced risk, like, more penetrated market post-COVID and potentially increasing competition against the benefit of an improving macro? Would love to you know, the future of growth of the self-creators. Um, and I, I think, you know, you're asking about confidence in it. Part of it is, or part of that future growth is, is based on the, I think, the assumption that everyone in this room, and I would assume everyone on this call, has that at some point the economy will bounce back. Is it going to be later this year or next year or the following? None of us knows. Uh, um, and obviously, uh, uh, but, but we all think that at some point that is going to happen, and that has a direct influence on small businesses. They are very susceptible, susceptible to, to, to the changes in the microeconomy. They are very sensitive. Um, and obviously, when, when we're going to see that recovery, it's going to influence all, the, the whole of that part of our business. But I think that the, the core of our confidence comes from the second part uh, or, or the second growth pillar that is attached to it, and that is the innovation that, that, we're, that we're doing 
uh, around self-creators. A lot of it is around uh, around AI, and I think Avishai, in in in, in his just just answered that part of the question in, in terms of uh, relating back to what happened with with ADI, and how we think that can influence on uh, influence the reduction in friction in creating a, a, a website and and, and uh, being more successful uh, in, in building your business online. I think there's a lot of competition out there, uh, and I think competition is a very healthy thing. It keeps you on your toes. It, it makes sure that you don't don't fall asleep, that you keep on innovating and trying to improve yourself in order to be the best for your customers. I think we've proved that we've done this on the product side for, for many years now, uh, and we intend to continue, to continue doing this. Um, um, I, again, the, this uh, this whole approach around generating the websites with AI is 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 part of it. But we are innovating also in their solutions for commerce and solutions for restaurants and solutions for for hotels and 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 solutions for people who want to book events or or sell their time and, and and scheduling. And and I think that that is where our strength comes from. And this is uh, where we think that that can be a great contributor to the growth of self creators going forward. Very helpful. Thank you for the time. Great. Thanks. Uh, let's go to Trevor Young at Barclays. Great. Thanks. Uh, in the pre-recorded session, there wasn't a lot of talk about the international side of things. How are you thinking about maybe re-accelerating growth outside of North America? As that's more than a third of the business, and um, all three key regions outside of North America are still in single-digit territory. Are there any sort of like puts and takes to think about, such as ramping partners internationally, or you know, would international um, accelerating from here provide some upside to the the revenue growth that's kind of baked into your guys? Hey, Trevor. So I, I think you know, um, first of all, yes, absolutely. Partners are going to uh, uh, play a big role in it. Uh, the launch of Studio is a global launch. It's already translated to languages. Um, uh, which means that all of our, as our launch is first and foremost, is an internal launch to all of our existing partners. Uh, and then later, uh, sometime in the fall, we're going to proceed and open it up for, uh, for mass market. Then obviously uh, that should have a, a significant and positive impact uh, globally and as well as outside uh, of those regions that are outside of the U.S. Uh, and North America. Uh, you do have to remember that generally, uh, uh, especially if you look at the EU, uh, and, but not only, the macro headwinds are still, I would say, stronger, or at least I would say that the, there's better signs of recovery at this stage uh, in, in the U.S. and North America. So that's going to play another role, I think, in, in that kind of uh, uh, um, improvement and returning to a accelerated growth uh, in those regions as well. That's helpful. And just as a follow-up on one of the earlier questions, you, you talked about some of the key verticals that you already service. Are there any verticals that you think there's opportunity, anything like on the social side and kind of like individual you know, creators who make their own content for social platforms or any other verticals where you see some opportunity going forward? Uh, the answer is obviously yes, but obviously we're not going to disclose which one <laughs> for the same reason. But it's, it's Fair enough. Thank you. Great. Um, next question. Let's go to Naved at B. Riley. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, maybe a quick clarification. So you guys shared that partner growth was 35% uh, 
uh, and partner uh, revenue was at 36%. So I'm just trying to figure out the compounding effect, right? And existing accounts are going there. But if I see that this seems more linear, so is there something that I'm not looking at right in terms of just the math there? And then uh, I have a follow-up question on AI. You are talking about between partner growth and partner revenue growth? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Uh, remember that when uh, when you get new partners, it takes time until it rolls into the revenue. Meaning that you take a, you have a partner, uh, you start to play <coughs> with the platform, you build one website or two websites, right? But I think that the compounding effect is something that is happening um, a, a few months after you get the partner. Uh, join to our platform and start, you know, to build websites and so on. By the way, very similar to how GPV, um, you know, is acting. You get your customer that, you know, start to sell his product, it takes time, and then you get the compounding effect of the GPV. So it's obviously very similar to that. When you have a very high growth or hyper growth business like that, uh, it takes time until you see the differences, but definitely we are going to see that in the future the revenue growth is obviously going to be higher than the partner growth because of that compounding effect. Got it. Um, and then follow up on AI. So if I think about how AI can have an effect on the cost side of things as well as maybe the revenue opportunity. So how should I think about the, uh, the cost of infrastructure as we kind of deploy more and more AI capabilities and then uh, on the monetization side, can we talk about the opportunities to sort of, you know, maybe drive our food growth as you build out all these feature sets? And what do you have embedded in your model, uh, 2025 forecast in terms of you know, being able to monetize more? Alright. So, I mean, the first part of the question is, is, is actually a very important thing, which is you don't get AI for free, right? You pay for it, and, and it's actually. Some of it can be rather expensive. And uh, so if you look at it, for example, if we do AI chat agent for support, right, we might be able to have less support agent, but you actually have to pay for GPU time, right? So the combination here, and that's the question, is the balance. And obviously, we're going to have to be smart about it and monitor it, right? We don't want to have uh, create an AI agent that is as effective as a human but cost three times more, right? We want to, uh, but I got to say that if I look at the trend the last couple of years, obviously the prices are going like that for GPUs usage, and uh, and from what we can test now, there is a huge gap between the salary to the uh, to the uh, cost of the uh, computer and uh, GPUs and computation. On the other side, when it comes to conversion, that's even easier to manage and to understand when you use AI to do site generation or element like that. The cost is probably going to be smaller in most cases, and then it's very easy to measure the effect and the value from that. So I would say that this is going to be on us, right? We're going to have to make sure that we are smart about it and don't do projects that are going to cost more than what they generate. The, the next question you had is about uh, uh, how it's going to increase the output, and I think it's 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 a combination. It's not just one thing. The number one thing, and I go back to what Fiona said, is that we want to make sure that we improve conversion, right, and retention. And I think this is where 
uh, we've proven in the past with ADI that we, it, can, it can be done. It works well when you do it well. And I'm a strong believer that we can do it again now that there are better technologies here of AI and we can do way more than we did in the past. So this is the number one thing. Another thing is that AI, the thing that can help you manage your business, will also allow us to offer you more tools and more elements. So we actually believe that we can increase output by allowing you to utilize more of what you can do in Wix today by being the one that having Wix create initiative and then guide you for it instead of you taking the initiative. The last part is that there are going to be some AI models uh, that we do intend to charge money for, right? And uh, so I do believe that that is going to be part of it. And it is still something that we have to uh, test and prove in order to say how big the effect on that is going to be. You want to you yeah, mention yeah. what you modeled, sure. how, you, how you captured it in, in the long-term model? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, uh, we took uh, under the model assumption what we see right now. Know, both in terms of the cost, the run rate of the cost, and the run rate of the growth. As Avish I just mentioned, I believe that there are two components over here. It's, you know, first of all, the most important uh, word about it is about the ROI, okay? If there will be more cost, we need to make sure that we get a positive return. It can be in a way of more revenue, uh, for, for example, better conversion, or saving in other places. I didn't take into, into consideration both. I didn't take into consideration the opportunity, but I also didn't take into consideration the cost of it. I believe that when we talk about positive ROI, it's just going to have a positive impact uh, on top of the numbers that I took. Yeah, and I, I mean, we have, it, it's not as if a lot of this is new to us, right? We've been, we've been utilizing AI within Wix for many years. We, we have a very good grasp on this balance that you were talking about, Avishai, and, and how to you know, manage it in, in the model as well on the financial side. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, great. Um, let's go to Mark Zagudowitz at Benchmark. Thanks. Hi, uh, guys. Uh, really thoughtful uh, presentation, uh, so thank you for that. Uh, Two questions just related to top line. Uh, I was hoping you could you could break out just the segment uh, guidance uh, targets between creators and partners. Uh, you, you have partners, and I'm just looking at your slide here, partners uh, free cash will break even in 2024. So just wanted to understand sort of top line assumptions to get there. And then just overall, uh, you, know, you mentioned that you can reach your profitability targets under a variety of growth scenarios, uh, and it looks like you're using uh, the second half run rate and carrying that through to 2025. I'm just curious if we see a run rate below that level, what areas would be um, sort of, uh, I guess, game for, for making further OPEX reductions? Thanks. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, Marco, we'll start with the uh, first question. You know, I said that we are using the current run rate of growth. It means that if you want to understand exactly, you know, what will be the, uh, the uh, split between the revenue, so just take the current run rate of growth of partners and just continue that. I didn't make any changes. It's exactly the same. No even one percentage more, no one percentage less. Okay. Uh, uh, so this is uh, with regard to that. And again, I think that, you know, based on our assumption, we can always look at what we have right now and then better control it, right? Um, 
I believe that, you know, from the last half years of experience, I think that that will be the best way to handle it. But by the way, it's very important for me to mention, the way that we are running the plan or the budget is very simple. We are looking at current year plus two years, meaning we don't take any decision uh, today without understanding the impact of it in a couple of years of now, meaning that next year we are going to do the same, but 2026 will be included as part of the model. So we have a very, very good control of what we are doing uh, in terms of, term of the cost. And to your question, if we're going to see that from some reason uh, we, you know, the growth is less than what we see right now, so the first thing that we need to understand is the reasons. For sure, we are going to uh, align the cost, you know, to meet those growth rates in order to make sure that we'll get to the uh, target of our profitability. But to answer your question, how we're going to align the cost is really very much depends on the, uh, the reason why we see less growth. And then we are going to react accordingly. Remember that many of our expenses, especially when you plan, you know, this kind of a model, are embedded into the revenue, meaning that there is a direct effect of revenue. If revenue is lower, it means that you have also, by, de by definition, lower expenses. But if it's beyond that, or much more than that, we will have to align the cost. And again, the way that we are going to do it is based on the reason why we see less growth. Makes sense. Thanks, Thanks Mark. I think this, this is actually a good transition to a question we got sent an email. I mean, thinking beyond 2025, we, we, we laid out pretty clearly the incremental mm -hmm. cash flow margins that we're going to see here mm -hmm. through 2025. Um, how should how should analysts think about the incremental margins beyond 2025? Yeah, I think that it's also related to uh, to the question about the long term. I said that it's going to be um, not before 2028. So I believe that everyone should assume <coughs> that 2025 is not um, the end target, meaning that 25% of free cash flow is not the end target. We obviously see that it's going to be higher than that. Um, and later on, the target will be set to 35%, for example. So yes, I believe that the leverage that we are seeing right now and will see in the next couple of years will continue. And therefore, I believe that somewhere, like, you know, it, it won't be before 2028, uh, but if you take this revenue or the leverage and just continue, you will get to the same, exactly the same calculation that I'm doing. So yes, in the future, I think that we are going to generate more revenue, most of it going to go down to the bottom line and increase the profitability even further, especially with the partners business. Remember, partners business is going to be more profitable. So when the, the mix is changing, it will be much easier for us to see this leverage. Great. Uh, so let's go to Matt Fow at William Blair. Hey, great. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Just one for me. Wanted to ask about Wix Studio, and as you make it generally available, curious as to what type of investments that you're going to need from a marketing and support perspective. And the reason why I'm asking is because you're releasing a very significant product here, while at the same time, if I look at your expected ramp in the profitability of the partner business, 
really making uh, significant improvements there. So just trying to understand the relationship between those two dynamics. Sure. Hey, Matt, it's near. So I, and and uh, Leo can to talk about uh, you know budgeting aspects and modeling later on if needed. But generally, you have to remember uh, from uh, that from our standpoint. Uh, Everything that we have to do in order to market uh, a studio are activities we've done in the past. Um, um, it's also, you have to remember that we are already well known and appreciated uh, in, in this community uh, and within this crowd. So we have a great, uh, a great starting point. And, and the goal, uh, once the studio is out there, and we always spoke about it in kind of when we're going to be starting the, when are we going to start the investment of marketing in, in studio, obviously only after we release the product, which is in the second half of the year, is to start going and building, uh, uh, building and strengthening that the Wix Studio uh, uh, brand uh, to the point where uh, we, can, we can reach the adoption and, and reach the new crowds of, uh, of partners that we want to bring in. So from that standpoint, I think we have a very, I cannot go into the details naturally, but we have a very, very strong and solid plan we've been working on for a while now. Uh, we have the resources in place, we have the right people and, and the right expertise. Um, in terms of the customer care associated with it, that's also something that has been taken uh, into account both on the cost side, but also in terms of the training, uh, uh, the creation of a community around it, uh, the, the adoption of more technical solutions for more technical crowd. Uh, and that's again something that we ha we're not just starting uh, uh, just now, but we've been uh, working on and, and, and adopting over uh, over a long period of time. Yeah, so I will relate to the uh, modeling uh, part, and I think that it's a great question because I think that it will enable you to understand the way that we are, um, you know, managing our model and plans. We took into consideration millions of millions of dollars in terms of um, marketing for partners, especially around, you know, branding activities. Remember, guys, that I told you that in the second half of the year we're going to invest more in branding activity uh, for the launch of studio. And obviously this is something that will continue. So the model from one hand taking millions of dollars of investment into the partners business in terms of marketing, but on the other hand, I didn't take any consideration to any increase in, in, uh, in revenue as a result of that. So I believe that the model is actually taking everything into account. From one, it's taking the, the, uh, the marketing investment that we need to do, but uh, on the other end, we are not taking the upside as a result of that, and I believe that it would be much better right now when I'm doing the model to be more conservative around it. Okay, we'll go to uh, John at Jeffries. Hi, thanks. This is uh, John John for, for Brentel. Um, so on, on the cost side of things, obviously we have great uh, margin targets, but wondering maybe on the, on the other hand, you know, you're planning not to add much fixed cost at all, very, very restrained on, on headcount, additional headcount, but is there a risk that you may be stay too lean on cost uh, and potentially hurt maybe some of the, uh, you know, opportunities that have longer-term paybacks. Wondering how you think about that. 
So I, I, I'll kick it off. I think, you know, I think generally we feel that at the current uh, size and availability of resources we have internally, we are in a very, very good place. Um, and in order to achieve our targets and, 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 uh, and grow towards, uh, towards uh, both the, the partner side and the self-care side. Now, I think that naturally, you know, if, if uh, eventually, uh, um, as uh, Lior said, he's, he's not counting the upside at this point. But if we do see the upside, and that's going to be also driving a better margin, it will also allow us uh, uh, um, to, um, uh, to increase some of the cost and go after more resources to go after further, further uh, growth opportunities. Our sense is that we first need to prove to ourselves the current investments and the current growth acceleration before we go to that next level. That being said, I think that over the past year, um, and, and I think we're humble enough to say that, we also uh, saw that there is a lot of, 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 of good learnings and, and smart decisions to be taught throughout uh, going after more efficiency. I think uh, we proved, uh, we do so in our new marketing strategy, and, and we're very happy with the results. And we're also very happy with the fact that even in, an, even in a year in which eventually growth was lower than what we hoped for when we were here in, in, the, in the last year's May analyst day, we managed to make the adjustments in a way that allowed us to both be, meet the targets of the margin, but also meet the targets in terms of execution and deliver studio and deliver the, uh, the new initiatives and deliver the AI uh, uh, innovation uh, on the timing that we intended to. John, did you have a follow-up question or? Yes, I try to unmute that. Okay. Um, couple of couple on, on partners, one very quick one. First, the quick one is, will Studio replace EditorX and Bello? Would you be winding those down? Is Studio kind of the next thing? And then on the partner side, I mean, you've been at it for quite some time. I'm uh, wondering, you know, how things are going in terms of uh, winning over, you know, partners that kind of are married to the WordPress ecosystem or are used to kind of whatever tools that they're using in terms of the momentum of them switching over through the tools and adopting the whole uh, ecosystem. Just wondering how, how this changed from you know, the start to, to now. Thank you. Well, so the first part, I think it's simply a yes. We do see a studio as an extension of Editor X. And uh, when we felt that Editor X was built for professional uh, uh, designers, people that are really, really spending a lot of time designing things, and we saw a lot of agencies that have been using that just growing number, frustrated because it was really aimed for design and not for agencies. So we said, well, let's improve the UI and make it that agencies can use it in the same ease of use that they want, but have the control and the design. So that's the evolution of Editor X into that. But I think he asked whether we're going to replace Editor X and Velo as well. Well, uh, Velo is just part of it, so Velo is not going to be replaced. But I think the big question here is, should it, will it be a, a different product line? You're going to have Editor X, Studio, and Wix, and we're going to market all three of them. It's going to be just two, and the answer is just two. We are winning over WordPress. That's the simple reality of that. We showed some, shared some information this time. But every year we're seeing that the amount of new content that's been created in Wix and compared to WordPress is growing. Uh, as far as I remember, if uh, last year was a year where we actually had more new 
uh, Wix websites built than WordPress. Right? Again, this is according to the data that we have and analyze. So I don't want to commit and be like 100% behind it because uh, WordPress does not disclose the number because they're not a company and they're not public and they have nothing that they don't know the numbers. But from what we can do when we search and browse different domains and do estimation based on that, that was something that we noticed. So I would say that all of the SaaS CMS are gaining over WordPress and taking uh, that, but there are other tools there that, you know, Drupal or uh, hosting companies, grown company uh, solution that will take market share from much faster. Um, one more question that was uh, submitted over email uh, was about the share repurchase program that we announced, uh, the new commitment. Um, the question is about just the cadence of the repurchases, but maybe since we haven't spoken about it yet, um, you know, Nir, could you give maybe a little bit of background about you know how we came to 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 the share repurchase you know authorization that the board gave and and how we're going to you know plan to execute it. Sure. So I, I think uh, in a very clear manner, um, looking having a, a three-year plan out there that uh, calls for a margin, but also for the generation of you know absolute number in terms of cash flow. Uh, both board and management thought that it makes a lot of sense to to match it also with kind of a same period uh, 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 general methodology to how we want to uh, approach the, the repurchases. We've done repurchases in the past, and, and I think uh, as we gain more maturity in it, we wanted to put something in place that we want to, going to create more clarity. And we believe that looking at kind of the, the general uh, 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 different um, uh, metrics of the company and where we stand uh, in terms of capital, um, uh, deploying uh, roughly 50% of the cash flow over those, uh, the excess cash flow over those over those three years, is what uh, makes uh, makes uh, sense. Obviously, the way we're going to deploy it, deploy it is going to be associated with decisions we're going to make at the at the right time uh, and and market conditions. That being said, uh, as an Israeli company, we're still bound uh, with uh, approval of the. Um, of the Israeli court system, uh, in order to uh, to be able to go out and, and get uh, uh, their approvals, so we can we can exercise the uh, the uh, the repurchases. Our goal, uh, at least for the time being, will be to try to go for a cadence which is as fast as possible. Okay. Um, well, with that, I think this wraps up our analyst day this year. Thanks, Avishai, Nir, and Lior. Um, also, want to thank. Uh, Michal, uh, Gali, and Hila, who contributed to the to the presentations, um, and also want to thank all the other people at Wix who helped put together uh, all the presentations, the videos, and and uh, today as well. So um, thank you all, and, and, and thank you, Joe. <laughs> thank you, Joe. <laughs> Thanks. Um, thank you, guys. Hope, uh, hope everyone has a great day. Cheers, everyone. Bye, bye.